Welcome to episode 47 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. I'm your host, Colbert, sports correspondent for the Gazette, joined as always during hoop season by Nick Pateros of the WCF Courier. Follow Nick on Twitter, at Nick at Courier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Real Colbert. Direct message any questions or comments you might have. And uh, know that this podcast is available at thegazette.com, at wcfcourier.com. It's available on SoundCloud, and you can find it on your podcast app on your Apple device. And if you listen there, Nick and myself would ask that you rate, subscribe, and review. Okay, let's get right into it, Nick. Uh, you and I coming off of a 71-63 win at McLeod Center against Illinois State on Wednesday night. Uh, Illinois State by no means looked like a team uh, that only had eight wins in about mid-February, as this was a close game uh, basically all the way throughout. A few runs back and forth, obviously you and I getting the best of uh, the Redbirds and being able to kind of pile on more when they went on their runs. A.J. Greens uh, gets to 1,000 career points. He scores 27 in the game. He got to 1,000 on his last bucket of the half, um, kind of a turnaround fadeaway jumper in the middle of the lane, very A.J. Green-esque. Um, Taiwan Pickford brought a real spark defensively. Um, plenty of storylines in this game. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, starting out, I, I was I was kind of wondering when Illinois State was going to miss a shot because I remember them scoring the 56 points in the second half on New Year's Eve uh, during UNI's Valley opener during that loss. Uh, and, and then uh, they started this game uh, just on fire, 7 of 10 from the field. They had a 31-22 to 22 lead with nine minutes to go in the first half, and they're on pace to, to put up another 50-point half on the Panthers. And then uh, that's when, when Ben Jacobson made that uh, defensive adjustment you're referring to with Taiwan Pickford, uh, moved him on to uh, – uh, Illinois State's lead scorer, Zach Copeland, and then uh, moved Isaiah Brown over to DJ Horn, who had just been lighting the Panthers up to start that game. Uh, he was a freshman that really went off in their, their first meeting as well. And I, I just think that defensive combination with both uh, Pickford and Brown out there really changed the dynamic of that game. Yeah, and I think that really speaks to like how fine the line can be sometimes in conference games, where obviously it was, I guess, only a two-day prep for Ben Jacobson and his staff. Um, but they know more about basketball than we'll ever dream to know, Nick. And Ben Jacobson gets, you know, not too far into that game and he realizes, okay, my plan is not a good plan and I've got to make an adjustment. And uh, the adjustment paid off. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's been adjustments before that didn't pay off and then we don't write about them because, well, they didn't pay off. But um, there's something to be said there about that dynamic when Taiwan Pickford and Isaiah Brown are both on the floor uh, at full health because Taiwan Pickford has battled some health issues and, and what they can bring defensively. Yeah, and it's just that intensity. It changed. It stepped up a notch. And, and it was funny because during that 18-2 to two run over the, the final nine minutes of the first half where, where you and I really took control of that game, uh, you could see Coach Ben Jacobson there on the sideline, and he he was getting into it. He looked like he wanted to be physically out on the court, uh, out there playing with them and, and getting those stops, high-fiving the guys. I mean, he, he was pretty excited about the way they are playing those, those final nine minutes of the first half. Do you think there's anything that makes Ben Jacobson basketball-wise happier than when his team forces the opposition into a shot clock violation? No, I, I think that's peak uh, peak Jake excitement right there. I mean, he, he's, he's got the best, uh, this is probably the best offense of his coaching career, but he's, he's going to take uh, three defensive stops in a row over, over a slam dunk or an A.J. Green three-pointer, I think, any day. All right, we got to talk a little bit about A.J. Green as well. Uh, as I said, scored 27, got to 1,000 points. Uh, we'll talk a little more about you know how things line up with where A.J. is in comparison to other Panther greats in just a little while. But 
Uh, it was just another example in that game Wednesday night, Nick, that um, when maybe the Panthers would otherwise have had a game that came right down to the wire, what A.J. brings to the floor made it what it was, an eight-point win for you and I. And while it wasn't terribly comfortable, uh, there wasn't really, a, I don't think, a whole lot of fans at McLeod Center over the past or the last three, two minutes of that game that were terribly worried um, that something you know awful was going to happen and Illinois State was going to be a bucket away um, from tying that game. Yeah, and it was interesting hearing Dan Moeller's comments on AJ Green after that game. He was saying, you know, asked how, how do you how do you defend this guy, and he's saying you need probably somebody about you know six seven, six eight with with some uh, length and some he athleticism. Des- he and, described Isaiah Brown. Yeah, he he literally described Isaiah Brown as the guy that can defend AJ Green, and, and I think Isaiah Brown might be the only guy in the conference that can do it, and he's on Green's team. And then if you put an Isaiah Brown on Green, then who defends Isaiah Brown and who defends Trey Burhow? And then that's the dilemma teams are facing right now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, also, let's uh, let's get into AJ's scoring pace, Nick. I, I know you've kind of broken this down a little bit. You've done the math. Um, what are you thinking as far as where AJ ends up in terms of all-time scores? Well, he's already a couple hundred points ahead of the pace of UNI's top four. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on pace to obliterate the 2,033 points. Uh, that That's the school record uh, sent by Jason Reese in 1990. And I guess what, what I think is more impressive is his 506 points this season are just three back of his total from, from last year throughout by the end of the year. And so he's on pace to break uh, Randy Blocker's UNI single-season scoring mark of uh, 645. That has held up since ninety four. His 79 threes are also uh, tracking towards topping Mark Sonnen's uh, single-season record of 96. But if he continues to put up 20 a game, he's going to have UNI's single-season scoring mark as a sophomore. Before a sophomore, you know, by the time a sophomore year is concluded, I mean, you're, you're just looking at pretty much the, the best player in UNI basketball history right now. I think it's also important to, like, acknowledge that It'd be one thing if A.J. Green was playing for Evansville. You know, it makes me think of D.J. Ballantyne. Where he's Uh, the only guy that can score. Yeah, exactly. But he's got plenty of other capable scorers on his team. And not only is he scoring the points he is with capable scorers around them, he doesn't seem to be taking away at all from any of their games. No, he's he's not. Have, he doesn't have like a ten of thirty-one stat line. He's not shooting high volume and just getting points that way. Uh, you know, when teams double him, he's more than happy to pass the ball and, and generate. You know, the the four on three off the double teams. So I, I think it's really impressive to see the way they've they've uh, been able to adjust the offense as well. They they now are more comfortable with those doubles and they're working the ball around. I saw possession yesterday where there was a series of skip passes. Then they worked it back up to Green, who got single coverage, went on a drive, and, and he's scoring at three levels. Yeah. He was able to go off the drive, get to the basket, that mid-range pull-up that he scored his thousandth point on. And then, you know, his three-point range is so big that you have to guard him basically at half court because he's going to shoot it anywhere yeah. within within the half court. Yeah, he's uh, a very tough guard, and I liked how you included uh, the little anecdote you heard on the sideline yeah. in your story, uh, so may as well just relay it on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, those guys courtside ha- have some fun, you know, with the players during the games from time to time. The again. fans yeah, yelling the fans. some things yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's I, I think there is a, kind of a dead ball, and one of the fans uh, goes to, to Copeland, you guys can't guard green, and, and Copeland turns around with this big smile. It's all good-natured, and he's like, yeah, I, I know, I know. It's tough, it's tough. That's what he said. It, it's tough, it's tough. So uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a pretty good moment there and that's obvious that 
AJ has the respect of his opponents, and Illinois State coach Dan Moeller said as much in his mm-hmm. postgame comments. Uh, before we move along, let's jump back to Taiwan Pickford just for a moment because the Taiwan Pickford that we're seeing right now as a junior is not completely different, but a decent amount different from the player that really burst onto the scene as a true freshman for you and I. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, Nick, what does a peak-performing Taiwan Pickford look like at this point in his career? Uh, I wonder if maybe injuries, uh, he seems to maybe continually have some sort of lingering shoulder issue. He he wears that kinetic tape mm-hmm. on his shoulder. Uh, maybe it's 100%. Maybe it's 95% where it's really not an issue. But his shooting form has changed quite a bit since his freshman season. He obviously doesn't shoot anywhere near as many threes. No, he's um, only made, what, three three pointers all season? Yeah. And, and one of those came in, in Wednesday's game. Yeah, so it's two seasons in a row now where he's gone from shooting over 100 threes as a freshman to, I think, less than 30 uh, and will shoot less than 30 in each of the last two seasons. But what he does continue to bring to the floor is good defense, uh, forward-level rebounding. He's a 6'4 guard, but he rebounds like a forward. Uh, his off-ball movement is usually pretty sharp. Uh, the cutting, the slashing, it's something that, you know, if you're watching these games, it's evident that it's something that he takes pride in. Um, the only comp I could come up with was like a shorter Marvin Singleton. Okay. Um, because Marvin Singleton would hit the occasional three, one in every five games. He would rebound really well. Um, he would use his bulk and athleticism uh, to kind of move guys around in about a 10-foot radius within the hoop, and he's just kind of a little crafty uh, when he gets near the basket in a sense of just being able to be tough and crafty at the same time. When you look at what you and I's roster is built with all these shooters with ball handling skills and passing skills, uh, Taiwan Pickford isn't anything like that, but he, he certainly seems to be bringing, uh, as cliche as it sounds, some sort of X factor this, to this team when he, his game is right. Well, when you look at the makeup of this UNI team, they're going to outshoot most teams they play every night. They're a more efficient shooting team. So how you beat them is you have to get more shots, and that's where Taiwan Pickford helps out because he's going to get defensive rebounds. He's going to get you second-chance opportunities. So he's going to make it harder for that opposition to generate, you know, 5, 10, 15 more shots a game that it's going to take to beat a UNI team that's so efficient. And so I think there's really a lot of value in that. And uh, just the intensity that he plays with on the defensive end of the floor, his ability to guard uh, different types of players and then uh, go get loose balls, rebounds. He, he really embraces a lot of that type of work uh, that, that doesn't get a lot of the headlines, a, a lot of the, you know, accolades. And then, uh, you know, he's just kind of such a quiet guy on offense. But remember that Drake game, Spencer Haldeman throws him a bounce pass and he, he throws Liam Robbins, the best shot blocker in the MVC on a poster with that dunk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he can be pretty explosive, uh, just kind of out of nowhere. All right. Um, I, I think uh, what we're talking about next, I, I think you posed the question perfectly, which is, is you and I good enough defensively to win their next two road games. And, Nick, the first road opponent uh, for you and I is uh, is Loyola. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it is uh, Indiana, State. Indiana State. And so these are going to obviously be, I mean, Loyola easily, uh, but Indiana State's another tough road team because they haven't lost at home this this year, have they? Ooh, I, I, I'd have to look that one up. But, no, they've been pretty tough at home. And then last year, you and I got blown out in Terre Haute right before the MVC tournament. That may be conference only. I think I remember seeing it on Mike Kern's notes okay. uh, this morning. So uh, just on paper, a couple really tough road games. And then Wednesday night's game against Illinois State, I think, is uh, 
a good game to look back to when it comes to this question, Nick, because you and I's defense was not getting a hand up on shooters, you know, whether it was Copeland or Horn or anybody else, Reeves, who got going for Illinois State on Wednesday night. You and I, you know, has circles its wagons, calls the timeout, makes the adjustment. Ben Jacobson said we got our hands high on the catch for all their guys behind the three-point line, and then Illinois State goes one for 11 to end the first half. Loyola, Indiana State, you may not have as big of a cushion to um, not have your best game defensively. And then the next thing you know, the clock's run out and you've lost a game. Well, yeah, and, and Loyola, you know, they're one of the better defensive teams in the league. Uh, you've got Crutwig on, on offense, who's a skilled passer, good center. Uh, so so there's enough weapons there that if you're not going uh, well defensively, you know, they, they can get away from you. And uh, Indiana State with that guard backcourt with uh, Jordan Barnes and Tyreek Key uh, and some of those guys, I mean, they can light up a bunch of points in a hurry too if you're not playing very good defense. So that, that's the danger going on the road. Uh, you, get some, you allow a team to get some momentum, and, and you might not be able to catch them. Yeah, and if you look back at that UNI Loyola game at McLeod Center, it took Cameron Crutwig like 19 shots to get 19 points. And then Tate Hall, who's been really good for them mm-hmm. this year, the sit-out transfer from last year, he was like 3 of 10 from the floor. And he's been, uh, I think he's been, you know, 40-some percent from the field this year. So it seemed like both those guys were off a little bit. Yeah. And you would figure at Gentile they're going to be able to hit. But uh, then news came out Wednesday night that – Cameron Crutwig did some sort of had some sort of ankle injury, rolled his ankle. Uh, from what I gather, he shot a free throw after the ankle injury. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, um, but he only ended up playing 25 minutes, so he left that game early. Um, even if he's, you know, at 80, percent I mean, that's that's certainly a factor. He's he's a guy that's right behind AJ Green for Player of the Year. Yeah, I mean that that's a huge X factor. If they if they don't have Crutwig at 100, percent that's going to be uh, uh, make make it a little bit more challenging for Loyola to stay with you and I just because Loyola runs so much through Crutwig too. Uh, they had their point guard out at the beginning of the season, so they basically turned him into their point center. Uh, and uh, yeah, if, if he's gone, it, it's going to be a really tough adjustment for him. But but it's, it should be a lively atmosphere, sellout crowd, and, and you, you know they're looking forward to having that opportunity to play Northern Iowa with with the conference title still within their grasp as well. Yeah, and it's. Uh... It's a night game, Saturday night on ESPN2. Mm-hmm. So that should be one heck of an atmosphere. Um, all right, now we have to get to the topic that everybody is waiting for, Nick. A uh, little bit of drama besides the uh, actual basketball game Wednesday night at McLeod Center. As with any college basketball game, um, promotions go on during dead balls and and uh, timeouts and halftime and so there was a, the classic promotion at McLeod Center Wednesday night where it was make the layup, make the free throw, make a three-pointer, and then make a half-court shot. Boom, you win $10,000. Uh, just that easy. Tuition, yeah, it's no big deal. Do it all the time, right? So it's actually crazy enough. Happened already once this season at yep, McLeod. happened during non-conference play. A guy got through everything without missing a shot. I saw him lining up the half-quarter. In my hand, you'll see video footage. I saw that. My yeah. hands were in the air before he released, uh, before the the ball <laughs> got a, to the the rim. It, it was it was on target. Yeah, it was a good looking shot. I remember seeing that come off his hand, and I remember I didn't put my hands in the air, but I was like, uh, I was sitting next to uh, to Dargan Southern of the Des Moines Register, and I was like, Dargan, this looks good, mm-hmm. and he wasn't even paying attention. Next thing you know, the whole place <laughs> is going crazy. Um, so basically, a repeat of that. On Wednesday night at McLeod Center, a young man goes out there, makes all the shots. Uh, he's anticipating getting 10000 bucks for his tuition. 
Well, come to find out... Not so fast, my friend. There is a 24-second time limit on the promotion, whatever you want to call it, the contest, and he didn't get all the shots taken in the 24 seconds. Uh, the trouble lies in that whether it's, it's the PA's job, the MC's job, or they don't know it was their jobs to relay the information, nobody in the arena seemed to be aware of a 24-second time limit. And this this promotion's been going on all season, and you know we're right there courtside. I can't I can't honestly say, Nick, that I've ever heard the MC or the PA say it was 24 seconds. Well, I didn't know the specific time. You could always hear them counting down. And, and yeah. What, and what kind of added to that was the MC. Then once he went three, two, one, uh, it was shoot it. And and when he said shoot it, by the, by the time he he said that, the, the shot had already been fired. So this uh, this kid, uh, he was actually probably about five feet beyond the half court line when the MC said shoot it. He's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then he nuts the shot. So it was absolutely crazy to see that thing come in. And uh, you know how the how these contests work? You have a sponsor, Channel Seeds. They they say, all right, we we'll, we'll be we'll sponsor this half court shooting contest. Uh, so so they take out an insurance policy, and so you've got these actuaries crunching numbers in a cubicle thinking you know what are the odds of an average high school kid being able to complete this and then we're going to put a time on it because we don't want to give them too much time to, to fire off all these shots and be giving you know away ten thousand dollars all the time so you've got this policy where where the sponsor pays a fraction of the total cost and they have all these rules stipulated but now if the contestant doesn't know the rules that's where it gets a little tricky yeah and i, I think that's what made that challenging and so I, I actually, uh, if, if you don't mind me saying an anecdote, no, I, have, this is great. I have my own personal uh, experience with w winning one of these types of contests. So uh, when I was in Nebraska, first job out of college, I'd played in this uh, best shot golf tournament event, you know, as one of those charity deals with yeah. the 10 prizes. And so I, I played in this thing twice. The first year, uh, the, the hole that I, I'm referencing in, if you hit a hole in one on this hole, you won $10,000, just like the, the half court shot series. Okay. So hole in one, $10,000. Next year, I, I get to that same hole, and you win an entertainment package. So they've got, like, this flat-screen TV, an old iPod. Uh, this was a few years ago, you know. Just what everybody's looking yep, for, an the, the, iPod with buttons. And... Yep, the, the sound system, some speakers, all that stuff. So I'm like, oh, this entertainment package would be pretty cool. I was joking around like everyone does. I'm going to get a hole-in-one. I to get up to the tee box, take a swing, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is pure couple bounces drops in the pen i drop my golf club i'm oh running around gosh. like an idiot just <laughs> making a fool out of myself and so so i hit this hole in one to win the entertainment package and uh th if i would have done it a year ago the, the, uh, the previous year i would have won 10g and instead i get this entertainment package so i have to go to the sponsor with with somebody else that was in my golf foursome you know to verify that i actually hit the hole in one so for this insurance you have to say okay you know i was at the right spot in the tee box I actually hit the hole in one, and then I come to find out you only win one of the items out of the entertainment package. You don't get the entire package. <laughs> so not only did you not yeah. get $10,000, you didn't even get the entire entertainment package. And so I took the flat screen TV, and it was like one of those little ones that you see like in, in the restroom at Pepper's. You know, oh, it, no. was, it was not a big flat screen TV. <laughs> you still have that TV? Uh, no, I don't know where oh, that thing is geez. anymore. But yeah, That's hilarious. That's that stinks, man. That so, really stinks. So I can I can relate to you, Dalton. I, I know it's it's not that much fun to feel like you you, you could have won ten thousand dollars, but oh, you know man. they they did do the right thing. They gave him uh, the, the sponsor Channel Seeds gave him two thousand dollars out of their own pocket. Uh, you and I hooked him up with some gear and then a, a trip down to uh, Arch Madness for, for St. Louis. So, yeah. So I think he is pretty content with with how things ended out of that situation. Yeah. You, you hope that all parties come away happy and. 
uh, I, maybe too, it's also a learning lesson for, uh, you know, you and I or anybody else that, hey, like, you know, if you're just not clearly stating rules and then somebody wins and then you say in front of the crowd that they didn't win, you can avoid all the the disgruntledness of a crowd by just mm-hmm. simply explaining what the rules are before someone goes out there. But I don't really want to go down this wormhole. We definitely don't have time. But yeah, it speaks to a larger issue that the acoustics in both the McLeod Center and the Unidome have needed work for quite some time. And here's just another example to throw onto the pile of how it's taking away from the fan experience in those venues. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. I, I'm not only saying it for myself selfishly. I'm saying it for Dalton, who, you know, got the short end of the stick on things got, last night. He got fine printed. Uh, that's, he, uh, that's the fine print. You never want to get fine printed. Yeah, he got fine printed, and I'm saying it for all the fans who are thinking today who don't follow social media and maybe haven't checked in on how this has all turned out, going, man, that looked kind of cruddy how that turned out you know with you and I and that young man last night so this is my PSA for um, you know I don't maybe maybe you and I's got to start a GoFundMe and I can throw five bucks on it or something because uh, I, I would appreciate a clear PA and a clear MC um, and the addition of the MC it was a good move I think as far as you and the entertainment is concerned in the McLeod Center and that that's safe to say I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that it's just you know want to be able to actually hear what they're saying. Okay, let's uh, let's break down you and I's game. Coming up Saturday night, as we've mentioned, ESPN2, 7 o'clock. Uh, I actually did see, Nick, that um, at least one national college basketball sports writer from CBS uh, had a little piece in, in one of his stories uh, today on Thursday when we're taping this about you and I. So it's finally getting to the point now where it seems that not only is UNI making itself nationally known because it's been receiving votes in the top 25 for quite some time, but now it's actually starting to find its way online and, and maybe into print uh, on the coast for what it's done this season. Um, UNI 22-3 and three as it goes to Chicago to take on Loyola Saturday night, 11-2 and two in conference play, um, defeated uh, Loyola 67-62 in overtime at McLeod Center back on January 26th. Uh, Loyola is seventeen and nine, nine and four in conference play, and in that uh, first matchup, Nick, it wasn't. It was a little bit different of a blueprint for you and I to get that win because it was four guys in double figures. But if I'm not mistaken, nobody scored over fourteen uh, for you and I in that game uh, against Loyola. No, you had uh, Green at fourteen, Fife at fourteen, Haldeman at uh, twelve, and then you had uh, Antoine Kemmins uh, providing the, the spark off the bench with thirteen. That might have been one of Kemmins' best games of the season. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I remember saying and or writing that it was his best performance since Cancun. Um, and Loyola, for the most part, had you and I playing at its pace in that game. You know, the, the possessions were a little lower than I would imagine you and I would like them. That's kind of where I, I start on this game. Is is you and I going to emphasize pace? Or are they going to say, we're just going to play our game. We're not going to spend too much of our time thinking about if we're playing fast enough. Um, that's that's kind of where I see it. You know, is 
you and I going to accept Loyola's pace, or are they going to try and speed it up a little bit? Yeah, I don't really know how you and I is going to be able to speed it up because they're not a team that generates a lot of turnovers. So Loyola's going to run the shot clock down with its lengthy possessions. They're not going to turn the ball over themselves. So I don't know if you and I is going to have much of a say in the matter other than if it jacks up a quick shot on offense, which I don't think they're going to do either in the half court. If if Loyola gets set in the half court, you and I is going to run through its sets and, and try to find a good shot with the, the shooters that it has out there. So I expect it to be at a similar pace. And the first matchup, the Cameron Crutwig-Austin Fife battle was something that I know we talked about quite a bit on this podcast. And the way that that turned out was Austin Fife scored 14, grabbed nine rebounds, and he was efficient. He was six of nine from the field. Cameron Crutwig, on the other hand, it took him 19 shots to get 19 points. So I, I think it's safe to say that while both players played well, Austin Fife played a little bit better than Cameron Crutwig uh, did that day. And it's certainly, I mean, it's it's obvious that this matchup is going to be a really important one. And I, I think back to you and I's win over Drake this past weekend, Austin Fife struggled against Liam Robbins. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. Liam Robbins is quite a bit different of a player than Cameron Crutwig. Um, but for as good as Austin Fife has been, he's had a couple games this year where he struggled a little bit, and one of them recently this past weekend against Drake. So by all means, it's just, it's, again, obviously, a, another matchup that's, you know, I, I think this is the most important matchup of that game on Saturday night. Yeah, and it's interesting because I thought in the Illinois State game they actually did a pretty good job of breaking down UNI's defense early and scoring inside on Fife as well. So I think the last two have not been his best defensive efforts. And and when you look at the previous matchup with Loyola, that was probably Fife's uh, best defensive performance of the season, what he did with Crutwig. And that was an overtime game, but you had Crutwig play 40 minutes in that game, and you had Pl- Fife play 38. So it's uh, pretty rare to see two centers going head-to-head for, for that length of, of time on, on the court as well. Uh, so it, it's going to be another really, really good matchup. Any final thoughts, Nick, as we uh, wrap up Episode 47? Yeah, I really think, uh, you know, when you look at you and I here and, and what they're trying to accomplish with their goals, being able to get an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament, win a, a regular season conference championship for the first time in, in, in a long time. I think it's been probably about a decade since they've won the, the Valley's regular season. Uh, you know, th- this, this next week will kind of uh, put everything into focus because you've got a tough trip to Loyola, a, a tough, tough trip to Indiana State, and then you've got that, that home uh, return game against Southern Illinois looming. So I think if you can win two out of three on the road with uh, Drake, Loyola, and uh, Indiana State, and then just continue to take care of business at home, uh, this Northern Iowa team will like where it's sitting going into St. Louis. Well said. And in bringing up Southern Illinois, I was such a nice guy that on the last podcast, I didn't even bring it up, but I think it was three or four podcasts ago, Nick, that I said, (laughs) look out for Southern Illinois. I like what I'm seeing out of the Salukis. Um, I think they could make some noise, be a sleeper at Arch Madness. They've launched themselves beyond sleeper status. They're second in the Missouri Valley, Nick. Two Um, games back of the Panthers, second place, tied with Loyola, yeah. I'm just saying I've made some calls to see if I can uh, find some crow for you to eat here uh, before the season gets too far away from us. We've got some games left to play. What was the score of their game last night? You know what? I'm focused on the future when it comes to <laughs> Southern Illinois basketball, Nick. So, um, yeah, I just I, I, I wanted to make sure to bring that up so the listeners could recall that um, I could still end up totally having pie on my face by the time this is all done because the Valley, Nick, really does look like you and I clearly at the top, then Bradley, Loyola, 
and then whoever's in, playing on their home court. Yeah. yeah, and then whoever's playing on their home court, and so it it could go any number of ways uh, when St. Louis arrives. But good stuff, Nick. Uh, Appreciate it as always. Uh, thanks for listening to episode forty-seven of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. Remember, you can direct message questions or comments to my Twitter at Real Colbert. Stay up to date of Nick's coverage of UNI men's basketball at WCFCourier.com. Follow him on Twitter at Nick at Courier. Stay up to date of my coverage of UNI hoops, football, and more at thegazette.com. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.